Uh, also, I just want to invite John. John Miller has agreed, and uh, he's going to be sharing God's Word with us this morning. And so let's give it up for him as he comes to share with us what God's laid on his heart. Thanks, John. Thank you, Dan. Good morning, Wellspring. Great to be with you this morning. Um, let me begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus together. And Lord, right now, uh, the voice that we want to hear is your voice through your spirit speaking to us. And I thank you for this opportunity to open the scriptures and to know that this is the voice of God speaking to us. And I pray in, in the name of Jesus for ears to hear this morning for all of us. I pray that you would speak so clearly to us, Lord, in a way that transforms us. Lord, I thank you for your amazing love and your patience and your grace in each of our lives. And we just give you this time now. Uh, Lord, have your way. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And if you're saying, where on earth is that? That is in your Old Testament. So start at the beginning, go 14 books in. And you'll find it, and if you can't find it, um, look in the index, and you'll get there. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we are this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, maybe you've heard this expression, drastic times call for drastic measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Somebody said this last couple of years, COVID times call for COVID measures. And I'm not going to go there, but the premise of this statement is that uh, there are times where we find ourselves in seemingly difficult or even impossible situations, places in which we are so desperate that we feel like we have no other options but to do something radical or extreme. Now, I don't know about the wisdom of that, but here's what I do know, that there are times in life when we find ourselves in desperate places. We come face to face with urgent needs, with situations, with uh, circumstances that seem so much more than we can handle. And we start to feel hopeless. We start to feel overwhelmed. We start to feel powerless in those situations. And maybe you're here this morning, and that's how you walked in right now. There's something going on in your world, in your life right now that's, that seems desperate, that seems hopeless, something that seems bleak and, and grim. And how do you handle that in these moments? As followers of Jesus, we know that from God's perspective, there's no such thing as a desperate situation. Do you believe that? From God's perspective, he is on the throne yesterday, today, and forever. He is the sovereign God who rules over all creation. And he is working in every circumstance and situation that we find ourselves. And so when we find ourselves in a desperate situation, we can take comfort and knowing that God is on the throne. And the call in those moments is not to do something crazy. The call in those moments is to trust in the Lord, to turn to Him, to seek His face, and to put our trust in Him. This morning we're going to look into Second Chronicles chapter 20 as part of our Encountering God series. And we're going to look at this story of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah who found themselves in a very desperate a circumstance, a very desperate situation. They were surrounded by their enemies on all sides. Multiple enemy armies were around them. They felt completely powerless to do anything, and they made the de best decision they could make. They turned to the Lord, 
and they trusted in him. And so as we look at this story, it's an opportunity for us to take another step deeper in our own faith in whatever circumstances we may be facing right now. Even when times get desperate, I will trust in the Lord. We will trust in the Lord. Let me read for you Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to go 1 to 19 um, from my Bible on this, and we'll look at actually the whole chapter here as we have time. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and this is God's words for us this morning. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, together with some of the Marionites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom have come to fight against you. They are already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, and Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new, cor- new courtyard. Verse 6, he said, Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, and have said, Verse 9, if disaster comes on us, sword and judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and before you, for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. Verse 10, now here are the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You do not let Israel invade them. You did not let Israel invade them when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance. O God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their dependents, their wives, their children. In the middle of the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite from Asaph's descendants. And he said, listen carefully, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming from the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeriel. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Verse 18, then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, shouting loudly. We'll stop right there and dig into this this morning. The call upon us is faith in desperate times. Even when times are desperate in our lives, we can trust in the Lord and seek his faith. And so as we walk through this passage, let me give you three words that, that will basically frame out what we're going to do here. The first word is surrender. 
Then stay in firm and then worship. Surrender, stand firm, and worship is what's going to help us as we uh, get to this place of, of deeper faith in the Lord. So let's start with the word surrender. And we're going to see this in the first 12 verses. When we're faced with a desperate circumstance, it's an opportunity to surrender, to admit our powerlessness and to seek the Lord for help. We admit our powerlessness and seek the Lord for help. Look, look back with me at verse 1, and let's get some context on what's going on here since we jumped right into the middle of the Old Testament. So verse 1 says, after this, which means what? After what? So what's been going on here? Well, King Jehoshaphat is the king in this story, and if you remember Old Testament uh, history, uh, after David and Solomon, uh, the nation of, of Israel split into two nations, uh, Judah and Israel, and King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. So they had a bunch of kings. Most of them weren't very good. He was a relatively good king. It says that he uh, didn't fall into the traps of idolatry like the previous kings. He was pretty faithful to the Lord. And as a result, God's hand was upon him. The blessing, the favor of God was upon him. But like the rest of us, he had, a t- he had times of disobedience. And during one of those times when he made an alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel, that God sort of loosened the grip a little bit on the enemies that were around them and allowed the enemies to start coming against them. And this is where we find King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah now. After this, verse 1, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mayanites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Okay? These nations were uh, descendants of Lot, descendants of Esau. The main thing that we need to know about these armies coming against them were is that there were a lot of them. Verse 2, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. A great multitude. Some of your translations say a vast army. It literally means an abundance, uh, with this emphasis on noise. So have you ever been in a, in a storm and you kind of hear the thunder rolling in the distance? You know what I'm talking about? I think we may have some of that this afternoon. And, and the, these men are coming to him and they're saying, do you hear that sound? That's not thunder. That's the enemy armies gathering around us. And we tried to count them and we can't count them because there's so many of them. There's such an abundance. We're in big trouble here. Notice Jehoshaphat's reaction in verse 3. Do you see it there? Verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was what? He was afraid. He was afraid. They were surrounded. They were outnumbered. They weren't there for to hang out. They were there to destroy Jehoshaphat and the armies. This was a desperate, hopeless situation, and he was afraid. Have you ever found yourself in a situation when you looked at your circumstances and you just felt afraid? You felt overwhelmed? You felt so discouraged and disheartened because you were staring down a desperate, seemingly hopeless situation? Notice here how Jehoshaphat responds verse 3 Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord love that he set his face to seek the Lord he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord they humbled themselves in this moment they sought the Lord for help in this situation in their desperation they turned to God I've had the privilege for the past year now of serving with a Scott Mission downtown Toronto. And you know me, every time I speak, I always like to give a little plug for what I'm doing. That's just what happens. All right, so here, here's the plug, but, but it, it fits, okay? Um, and 
one of the things that, I mean, Scott Mission, we have the opportunity to serve the homeless, those who are low income, new immigrants especially. And one of the things that struck me as I began this past year in my role was the desperation that so many people are facing. And this past couple of years have only highlighted that and made it even worse. Uh, acute homelessness, drug addiction, mental health. We see people who are literally arriving from places like Ukraine or Afghanistan two days in with nothing, walking up to our doors. And it's amazing to see what people are facing and the privilege it is to be able to serve. But the truth is, is that we all at times, we all at times find ourselves in desperate circumstances. And maybe it doesn't look like that, but maybe it's, it's a financial circumstance you faced or a physical illness or a relational breakdown or some sort of spiritual desperation that you find yourself in. And the key in those moments is to admit our powerlessness before the Lord and say, God, I can't do this. I don't know what to do right now, but my eyes are upon you. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, right? That, that I can't, but Jesus can. I was dead, but he made me alive. I was lost, but he found me. I reached out to the Lord in my distress and he answered me and brought me out of the miry clay and set me on the rock of his salvation. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to experience every time we find ourselves in a place where we feel helpless and powerless. We can call upon the Lord. Look at verse 12. And if you look at any verse this morning, look at this one because this is the key verse in the passage that I want to show you. This is his prayer in their desperate situation. God, will you not judge them? We are powerless before this great horde that is coming against us. Here it is. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. They took their eyes off their circumstances and they set them on the Lord. And notice what it was about God that they were looking at. Look at verse six, back to verse six. They were looking at the power of God. You see it there? He says, O Lord God, our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdom of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. What is Jehoshaphat doing right now? He's, he's looking at God and he's just focusing on the power of God in this moment. That he's the God in heaven. That he rules over the kingdoms and the nations. That in God's hands is power and might that none is able to withstand. The question is, do we believe that about God? Do you believe that about God this morning? That he is the God of all power, that God's power far surpasses any circumstance or situation that we can face. See, our ability to trust the Lord in desperate times has a lot to do with what we believe about God. And we need to keep our eyes focused on those things, on the power of God in our midst. Notice as well here in verses 7 through 11, I won't read it to you again, but notice in verses 7 through 11, it's not just focused on his power, but also on what he's done previously. And in verses 7 through 11, he starts rehearsing some of the things that God has done in the past to deliver the people from, from their enemies. He's remembering in this moment it's this discipline of remembering. He's talking to God about the things that God's already done and reminding himself of God's faithfulness in the past. Why is that important? 
Psalm 77, verses 11 through 12, the psalmist puts it this way. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. One of the ways we build our faith is through the discipline of remembering. We're forgetful people, right? We forget some of the things that God has done in the past, even for us. And so the discipline of remembering is is thinking and reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And listen, the God we serve is the same God who spoke the heavens and earth into existence. The God we serve is the same God who parted the Red Sea and gave the Israelites a path to walk on that was dry so they could escape their enemies. The God we serve is the one who healed the sick and the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. This is our God. This is our God. He's a God of power. And we need to remind ourselves often of these things because it strengthens our faith and that we can trust in him in this way. And so the prayer is every single morning when we wake up, every single situation that we find ourselves in, we remember God's power, we remember his faithfulness, and we say to the Lord, God, I don't know what to do right now, but my eyes are on you, and I surrender. This is how we lean into that step of faith. Notice this second thing, surrender. Secondly, standing firm. We stand firm on the promises of God. How do I trust in the Lord in a desperate time? I stand firm on his promises. I stand firm on his promises. Verse 14, notice what happens here. So he's praying this prayer and all of Judah is standing before the Lord and it says in verse 14, in the middle of the congregation, the spirit of the Lord comes upon a guy named Jehaziel. And it goes on to tell you who he's the son of all these guys. Most of them I mispronounced, but you didn't know that, okay? Um, so Jehaziel, the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jehaziel with his message that he delivers to the people. What's God's message? Verse 15, he says, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord to you. Always a good time to listen when you hear that. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They'll come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness. Verse 17, check this promise out. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go against them, and the Lord will be with you. Isn't that an amazing promise to his people in this moment? This is the promise that God is making. He's saying you're surrounded. You're outnumbered. You're in a desperate situation from a human standpoint. But you don't need to be distressed. You don't need to be discouraged. You don't need to freak out right now because I am with you. I am on your side. And what God is doing in this moment is he's assuring his people of his presence with them in our lives. And then notice verse 15. He says, the battle's not yours. Verse 17, you don't even need to fight the battle. Not only am I with you, God's saying, I'm promising to fight the battle for you. And all you need to do is stand where you are, plant your feet in faith, and watch me move in this way. It's incredible. You know, I think one of the tactics that the enemy uses in our lives, you know, the enemy's voice is sometimes in our ear, and he's, he's just speaking to us a little bit. One of the things that, that he likes to say to us is that God has given up on us. You ever heard of that? Look at your life right now. Look at your circumstances. 
God's checked out right now. Look at this financial issue, this physical issue, this spiritual issue, this relational issue. God's not there. God's not there. He's checked out on you. And we start to wonder, where is God? Where did he go? Why am I in this place? Why has he left me alone? And the battle is, that's the battle we often encounter. And it's in those moments especially that we turn and look to the Lord and remind ourselves of his promises. God has promised you and, and me that he would never leave us or forsake us. God is not going anywhere. Where can we go from his presence? Where can we go from his spirit? If we go here, he's there. Anywhere we go, God is always with us and he's told us because of that just to simply trust in his promises and to not give up. And so if you're in a desperate place this morning, I want to encourage you with that promise that God is there with you right now in this place. That God is at your side to help you fight that battle. Whatever that battle is, the Lord is with you right now. Now I want you to notice right before we move on that God doesn't just tell them, he doesn't tell them how he's going to do it. If you notice that there. He doesn't say, here's how I'm going to do it. He just simply says that he's going to do it. I will fight this battle for you. You simply just need to stand firm and to trust in my promises. And sometimes, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I like to tell God how he, sh- how he should play it. You know what I'm saying? All right, God, here's how we're going to go. Oh, we're going to do this and this, and then I need you to do this. And God's going... You're such an idiot, John. Why don't you just trust me? Why don't you let me do my way? Why don't you? And so just stand firm, trust me, and watch me work in the way that I desire to do. My ways are better. And oftentimes, the way God fights for us is simply, he doesn't obliterate the enemies like he's about to do in this case. But most of the time, at least in my experience, he gives us the strength and the confidence to push through, to carry through, to carry on in the battle as we cling to his promises. And so again, if you're here this morning and you're feeling it right now, God wants to remind you of his promises. I'm with you. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine, says the Lord. And you simply need to stand firm. Here's the last word I want to show you from the passage. And uh, we've talked about surrender. We've talked about standing firm. The last word is worship. And this is such an interesting direction and where the story goes next. We haven't read most of this part yet, but um, how do we trust the Lord? We, we, we fuel our faith through worship. Do you know what I'm talking about? We fuel our faith through worship. Look at verse um, 18 and, and 19, and notice what happens next as the people of God get this promise. Okay, so Jehoshaphat kneels low with his face to the ground. All Judah, verse 18, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him, God. Then the Levites from the sons of Kohathites and Korites stood up to praise the Lord of God of Israel, shouting loudly. So what exactly is happening in this passage? Well, we've got the Kohathites and the Korites, two families of the tribe of, of Levi. And if you look back to First uh, Chronicles 6, King David was basically said, okay, you guys, your job is to be the worship team. You're the, the, the people who have been entrusted with the service of song in the house of the Lord. So it's the worship team. It's the worship team, and these are the Kohathites and the Korites that he's called. And it says, verse 20, notice, 
They rose early in the morning, went out to the wilderness, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you'll succeed. So he's giving them a pep talk right now. We're about to see what God's about to do here. And then verse 21, this is very strange. Verse 21, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So I want to stop there for a second and make sure we understand what's happening here. So Jehoshaphat takes the worship team. I'm on the worship team, okay? So let's, let's, I'm not ripping on the worship team, but he takes the worship team in their choir outfits and he sends them out first into battle. Is that a good plan? I, I, I don't know anything about really much, but... Um, <laughs> But I'm not sure I would do that, right? I mean, I would pick, I won't call any names, but I'm looking at a few people. Who would I send into battle? I'd probably bring him and that guy over there. I'd send them out first uh, before I'd send out the worship team with their instruments to fight the battle. Why is he doing this? Why is Jehoshaphat sending out singers into the battle? I think ultimately it's, it's an expression of faith. Faith in this moment is being demonstrated through his worship, through their, their, their desire to worship. They believe in their heart that God has got this. And so now their strategy is simply to trust the Lord with the battle and spend the rest of their day worshiping God. You see it there? That's what's going on in this story. There's a, a quote from Martin Luther. Let me uh, read it to you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. He said, music is a fair and lovely gift of God which has often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. I love this. I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. They forget thereby all wrath and chastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place, the greatest honor. I would not exchange what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. We know that to the devil, music is distasteful and sufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from the dire plagues. Can you identify with that? I can identify that. When I'm, when I'm grumpy, when I'm down, when I'm struggling, when I'm doubtful, it's often worship that, that brings me back up. The presence of God through song as we worship him that fuels our faith in this moment. And what I want you to see in this thing is two things. Number one is that worship is an expression of faith. Worship is an expression of faith. When we worship, we're acknowledging the greatness and the goodness of God like we sung this morning. We're declaring that there's no one in, in heaven on earth except for God who can do these things, that he is sovereign. But the challenge is, is that we don't often feel like worshiping, do you? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's hard getting out of bed on a Sunday morning and coming here. So well done. But, I, but, but that's hard, right? It's hard to, to sing praises to God when we're in desperate situations. And it requires often a choice that even in this moment, Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Worship is a choice where we express our faith in God and say, God, you are great. God, you are good. And even though the circumstances around me suggest otherwise, I will continue to praise you and trust in you in this way. 
Here's the last thing I want you to see in this as we talk about worship, that worship is also an opportunity to encounter God, to encounter the power of God in our midst. Notice in verses 22 and 23 what happens here. So they're, they're worshiping now. They sent the worship team out in their choir outfits. They're worshiping. And verse 22, the moment they began their shouts and praises, the moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites and Moabites, the inhabitants of Mount Seir, who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated the moment they started to worship. The Ammonites and Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. When they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. That's incredible. So the people are worshiping, and meanwhile, down in the battlefield, well, they're about to head next, their enemy armies have turned on themselves and are completely destroying one another. And it says, verse 24, when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they're looking out now over the wilderness, they looked for the larger army, but there were only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. That's a little bit graphic, but the point is, is that God completely came through on his promise. The power of God flowed in their midst as they encountered him. And we don't know how it all went down, but essentially God stepped in in this moment and, and did what he said he would do. And their job was simply to worship and to trust and to lean in to the Lord. Here's the point. When we worship, it's an opportunity for the power of God to flow into our lives. It's an opportunity for God to refresh our weary souls. It's an opportunity for God to lift our heads from, from discouragement and disappointment. And I pray that even today as we've gathered, you're going to walk out of here feeling more refreshed in the presence of God, refreshed in the joy of the Lord. That even in our desperate moments, even when we are overwhelmed and we encounter the presence of God, when we worship him, we experience that power in this way. You know, the rest of this passage, I won't read it for you, but it goes on to describe the blessings of God that the people began to experience after this incredible encounter um, with God and his power. And it says in verses 27, verse 25 that they plundered all these, they got all these physical possessions and took all these things home with them. Verses 27 through 30, it says that they returned to Jerusalem with joy. I love that. And in verse 30, that God gave them rest all around. See, ultimately, the blessings of joy and peace are what we get to uh, experience in our desperate moments. Joy is knowing that God is with us and he is at work even in our circumstances to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. Peace is that he's on the throne. As we trust in the Lord that he is on the throne, that he is sovereign over our circumstances. You know, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. And again, maybe it's, you came with a smile on your face, but in your heart, man, you're just struggling. There's a desperate situation in your lives. I have, I have a cousin right now who's two years older than me. He's, in his, he's 48. His, his body is ravaged with cancer right now. And the doctors are trying to keep him going for the sake of his two teenage kids right now. And, and there's no hope from a human standpoint. And we're trusting the Lord for healing. You can pray for him, for Ben. Maybe, maybe there's something like that going on in your world. Or maybe it's financial. Or maybe it's relational. 
we often find ourselves in these desperate situations. I want to invite uh, the worship team to come forward right now, and we're going to respond uh, through worship to what we've just talked about. And I want to invite you as they come to not, you know, check out right now. We want to lean in right now to the Lord and, and experience what He wants for us in this moment. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to put uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 up on the screen. Do we have that slide? Habakkuk chapter 3. Listen to this. It says, Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. And there's going to be seasons, maybe you're not in one right now, but maybe it's around the corner, where we feel like that. It's dry, it's empty, it's hard. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now, I feel desperate. I was remembering this week of a season not too long ago where I was desperate in my life. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how, we were getting, how things were going to play out, but God in his faithfulness showed his power and his goodness and his grace because that's what he does. And so as we respond to the Lord this morning, I want to encourage you to surrender that thing to God right now and say, God, here it is. I, I am powerless. I, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you in this place right now. And I'm standing firm on your promises. You have not abandoned me. You are with me right now. And you are good. And you are the God of all power. And so I will worship you. Even in this, I will worship the Lord my God. If you're able, would you stand your feet right now and let me pray for us. And we're going to do that very thing right now as we surrender to the Lord and stand firm on who he is and worship our God. Let's pray together. Lord, the one to whom you look is the one who's humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at your word. And God, we draw near this morning to you. And our eyes are upon you, Lord, the God in heaven, the God of all power, the God who is good and perfect in all of your ways. And Lord, you know the circumstances of our lives. You know what's happening now. You know what will happen in the future because you are God. And Lord, even in those desperate, hard moments, Lord, we simply just want to look to our God and to trust you. I thank you that you have demonstrated your faithfulness I thank you that you have demonstrated your power. Lord, you raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, we have hope everlasting, Lord. So Holy Spirit, come even in this moment as we pray. Come, minister to us. Speak to us the things we need to hear right now, I pray. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. So we look to you now as we worship. We choose to worship you now in this place.
continue to lead us in Christ's name.